Welcome to the Weekend Pulpit of Everyday Truth. We are currently in a series of messages studying the life of Elijah and considering the ups and downs of serving God. Hope you enjoy. God bless. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to be bringing a few messages over the next couple weeks about a man in the Bible named Elijah. And I'm excited about diving into his story. And we'll begin that today, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Elijah lived a life that was an up and down life for the Lord. You know, Elijah had some great mountaintop experiences, and we'll talk a little bit about those. Mount Carmel and just some times when God just showed himself uh, so strong in the life of Elijah. But he also had some experiences in life when he was as low as low could be. And I don't know if either one of those resonates with you, but I think if you've been a Christian uh, for any period of time, you can probably identify with mountaintop experiences. Uh, There have been some times in your life that you have said, wow, it was almost as if I could just reach out and touch God. Uh, That's how close the Lord seemed, and uh, God just did some incredible things. And uh, those are great, great experiences. But I would also venture to guess that you probably have had some pretty low times as well. And maybe some times when you've wondered, you know, is God even there? Or maybe some times in in your life when you have thought, uh, is anyone else even there? And I can promise you that Elijah went through those times as well. Times when he was so depressed, he just wanted to die. Went through severe depression. Other times when it just seemed as if he could do no wrong when it came to serving God. So we'll talk about those ups and downs over the next few weeks. And I want to begin by showing you where Elijah is introduced in the Bible. So first, uh, Kings chapter 17. And look at, please, if if you would, at verse 1, where the Word of God says that Elijah the Tishbite, do you see that? Chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. So if you were to look at a map of Israel and locate the Jordan River, If you went to the other side of the Jordan River, uh, which today would actually be the country of Jordan, you would be in Gilead, especially up toward uh, where the Sea of Galilee is on the other side. So Elijah is from the other side of the Jordan River. The Bible says that he came and he said unto Ahab, verse number one, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word, a pronouncement of judgment, a warning, if you will, to Ahab and to all the nation. We'll talk about why in just a moment. Look at verse number two. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish, or bread and flesh, in the morning. And bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. Now verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. 
I want to talk to you for a minute or two this morning on the topic, uh, standing, God, uh, standing for God in a culture of compromise. Standing for God in a culture of compromise. Lord, I pray that you bless the message. We certainly need your divine help as we approach this text of Scripture. I pray, Father, that what we would read would be recognized by each one of us for what it is, the Word of God. I pray that in that recognition, you would give us a sense of respect for the holiness of your Word. I pray that you would speak. Speak to us at the heart level today. I pray for some that so desperately need a, a touch from you. I pray that today that they would receive that. I pray that you would inform us and inspire us to live for you in ways perhaps that we would not or could not otherwise. Please, God, bless this message and everyone that's hearing it, both here in this room, those that will listen or watch sometime in the future, even those that are watching right now on the live stream. I pray that you'd bless each one of us. Help us, Lord, to grow and to be changed uh, more into the image of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Taking a stand for God in a culture of compromise. I don't know if that means anything to you, but, but it ought to. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior, then I think you know that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. I think we know that when the more that you grow in Christ, the more that you adopt biblical ideals in your life, uh, the less recognized you're going to be or honored you're going to be by a world that's diametrically opposed to what Christ stands for. And it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us when at the workplace or in the school classroom or in the neighborhood or uh, among uh, an extended family group, it shouldn't surprise us when we are not understood or readily accepted by others. It shouldn't surprise us. Now, I don't think we should ever try to be unlikable. I don't think we should strive to be obnoxious. I certainly don't think that we should be pharisaical or condescending when it comes to representing Jesus Christ. But I'm just saying that as the Lord works in your life, as you fall in love more and more with who God is and what God says, uh, then naturally you're going to come into opposition with this world. And God wants us to be salt and light. He wants us to make a difference in this world. And one of, the one of the ways by which we make a difference in our world is by taking a stand, by standing for, for God, by standing for right, by standing for the things that uh, are unchangeable, uh, by having biblical convictions. And Elijah is a tremendous example of that in the Word of God, as are all the prophets, as are so many, not just prophets in the Bible, but so many that take a stand for God. Elijah did it imperfectly, and you and I will do it imperfectly, but that does not mean that we shouldn't constantly be redoubling our efforts to, to stand for Christ in a compromising culture. I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter 16, and I want to give you the, re the reason why uh, Elijah had to take that stand for the Lord. Look, look at uh, chapter 16 and verse number 29. Chapter 16 and verse number 29. And the Bible says, In the thirty and eighth year of Asa, 
he's a king down in Judah, the king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Amri, to reign over Israel. Okay, stop for just a moment. So understand that after Solomon, there were two countries. You know that, right? So there was a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel. But it was the southern kingdom to whom God gave the greater blessing. Because the southern kingdom uh, went by the name of its larger tribe, Judah, and it was called Judah. The Judah kings were the offspring of David. And it was to David that God made the promise, I'm going to bless you and my seed, the son of God, Christ, Messiah, will come from David's line. So Judah got the unconditional blessing. Israel also got a blessing, but it was conditional. You say, okay, conditioned on what? Conditioned on following God. So God told Israel, if you will follow me, I will bless you. If you'll walk in my ways, I will also perpetuate your country. And so Israel had a great opportunity, but Israel squandered that opportunity. So from the time of Solomon, when he died, until the time that Israel was no more, 722 uh, BC, Israel was obliterated by the Assyrians. God allowed that. Why? Because 19 kings in a row did not follow God. But you think about that. 19 kings in a row did not follow God. They all had the opportunity. They all had prophets. They were all warned. But 19, so God was more than gracious. God was more than long-suffering. God was more than merciful in allowing them to live as long as they did. By the way, about 250 years. That should be ominous to Americans. You know, God's willing to put up with garbage for a long time. But eventually, there comes a line of God's mercy. Eventually, there comes a shelf life to God's grace. And judgment comes in. So we better repent. We better follow God while there's time, Amen. while there's time. And so what was true for Israel all those many years ago is true for us today. It's a tremendous application. Well, the Bible says that this man by the name of Ahab became the king of Israel. He was the eighth king. So he's right about the middle of the 19, the eighth king. And watch what the Bible says about him in verse number 29. Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria. Samaria in the Old Testament was a city. In the New Testament, it was a geographic region. So Samaria is the capital, and he reigns 22 years. Verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So every king before him was bad. Every king before him did evil. But the Bible says that Ahab was distinctive and that he did evil more than all of them. Ahab was distinctive in that nobody was as bad as he was. That's not a good distinction. Look at verse 31. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, if that were not enough, if that were just something small, watch what else he did. Verse 31 that he took to wife Jezebel. Nobody names their daughter Jezebel. If you're named Jezebel, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. So he marries this girl from Phoenicia, which is north, 
And she worships false gods. And the primary false god of the Zidonians, of the Phoenicians, was a god by the name of Baal. We just pronounce it Baal, but Baal. And Baal was the god of fertility. What the Canaanites falsely believed was that rain came because of Baal. Uh, Crops grew because of Baal. The sun would shine because of Baal. The storms would come because of Baal. As a matter of fact, he was called the fertility god. Not just fertility as in growing from the ground, but fertility in childbearing, all fertility. We owe it to Baal. So we're willing to sacrifice to Baal. We're willing to worship Baal. Now, we know that Baal wasn't a real god. We know he was a small G god. We know that. We know that he was just an idol. But they believed it. They called him the sun god. They called him the, the storm god. And the idea was, if you want your crops to grow, if you want uh, the agriculture to be blessed, you need to worship Baal. So when Ahab married Jezebel, Jezebel said, well, we worship Baal, and Baal's been really good to us, and our country's been blessed. And so Ahab very stupidly, very sinfully, imported Baal to Israel. And now for the first time, listen, for the first time ever in Israel's history, they have made the state God someone other than their God. It's not that they've turned their back on Jehovah, that Ahab would say, no, I worship him too. But we've added Baal, we've built him a temple, and we worship him now too. Watch what it says. Verse number 32. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So that's where Elijah comes in. Because Elijah and the people of God see this happening. The country now sees the wholesale apostasy turning away from God. And it seems as if nobody's doing anything about it. It seems as if, to Elijah, I'm all by myself. Elijah, if he were alive today, he's looking at the newspaper headlines. I'm sorry, if he were alive today, that would be 50 years ago. He's looking at the Google you know, page. He's looking at the, his, his social media feed. And he's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Like, who would ever have thought we'd see this happen in our country? That's what Elijah's thinking. And so Elijah acts upon it. And the Bible says in verse number one that Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, a small town in an out-of-the-way place. He's a nobody. Elijah's a nobody from nowhere. A Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, he came to the king. He shows up in his, in his uh, country clothes. He shows up in his, with, his, with his hairy head and his big beard. He comes in, and he's just strange to these people in the courtroom, the, the court of the, the palace court. He doesn't have fancy clothes on. He doesn't have an entourage with him. He's not representing anybody. He's not a governor. He's not a leader. He's not a military person. He's a nobody from nowhere who shows up to the king of the country and tells him, you're wrong, and God's going to judge you. That's a bold man. That's a bold man. So let's talk this morning about two things. Okay, number one, let's talk about the person Elijah. Let's talk about him. Okay, what does the Bible say, just preliminary, because we're going to talk about him for a few weeks. 
So what does the Bible say preliminarily about Elijah? Who is this guy? And maybe a better question is, and why in the world would God include his story in the Bible? Now, we know that God includes stories in the Bible for our benefit, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. We know that these serve as our examples. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example, the Bible says in James chapter 5. So we know, in part, that a reason, a reason why God included Elijah in the Bible is because he wants us to learn some things from his life. So we're going to do that. Who, who was the person Elijah? Verse number one. And then second point that we'll talk about today, only two. Uh, but the second thing we'll talk about is how did God care for him? So who was he? And then how did God care for this man? Because God takes special care of the people that take special care of his reputation. God takes special care of people that take special care of his reputation. That's what Elijah's doing. So who was Elijah? How did God take care of him? Standing up in a culture of compromise. Look, please, if you would, at verse number one again. Uh, and we'll talk about the person of Elijah. The person of Elijah. Elijah, the Tishbite, was of the inhabitants of Gilead. First of all, I see about Elijah that God mentions him always as an individual. Elijah is not part of a group. He's not mentioned as part of a, a band of people. He's not a, a leader, as I said, of, of a group. Many times other people in the Bible are listed along with others. Uh, for instance, you think about the New Testament couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They're listed together always, all six times. Of it. But Elijah, uh, almost always, until the very end of his ministry, when he takes on Elisha as a protege, uh, Elijah is, uh, seems to be always alone. It seems that uh, Elijah, uh, man, he goes into the, uh, the, 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 the courtroom of, of Ahab, he goes, preaches a short message, and leaves. And now he's alone by a brook for the next two, three years. He's alone at a widow's house. He's alone in a cave, we'll find out in 2 Kings chapter 1. He's alone on a mountainside. He's alone standing for God at Mount Carmel. He's alone in a cleft of a rock on Mount Horeb. He's alone. And uh, Elijah spends a, a good part of his life alone, lonely, just apart from people as an individual. Now, I'll say this, that Christians that don't learn to stand alone have not learned what Christianity is all about. Now, I'm not saying that it's not nice to stand with other people. And I love singing that song a moment ago, a great, oh, sing hallelujah. And I love to hear uh, the congregation sing that. But there are strategic times in our life when our Christianity is put to the test of aloneness. When you're the only one in that classroom, you're the only one at that work site, you're the only one. And those are the times when you find out what your real stand is. That's when you find out what your real faith looks like in those alone times. And the Bible teaches that Elijah was an individual who often appeared alone. But not only do I see him as an individual, number two, I see his identity. And the Bible gives us his identity from square one. So what was the identity of Elijah? Beyond the Tishbite, beyond Gilead, beyond all that, who was Elijah? Elijah was somebody who took a stand for God. That's what the name meant. That's what the name Elijah means. Elijah means Jehovah is my God. So it's like a double God. A lot of times in, in the Bible, uh, 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 the, the, the God prefix or the God suffix is in somebody's name. Like the Yah ending is uh, Jehovah. Or, or you would say maybe Yahweh, uh, the Yah ending. But the, the L uh, prefix or the L suffix uh, means uh, the, the, the creator God, Elohim. Uh, but in Elijah's name, you have both El, Eli, 
Yah, uh, Jehovah God. Jehovah, or God is Jehovah. Jehovah is my God, is the way that's translated. And that's Elijah. That was his identity. Everywhere Elijah went, every time Elijah's name was mentioned, every time Elijah identified him, uh, his name, he was saying, hey, Jehovah is my God. Now, now, people believe that there was a, a creator God. Most people believe in a creator God. They didn't always believe in the right God, but they believe in a creator. But what Elijah was saying is Jehovah, the one that revealed himself to our people, the one that said the I am is who I am to Moses. Jehovah God, the self-existent God, the God that reveals himself, the God, the personal God uh, is my God. That's what Elijah said. That was his identity. Let me ask you a question. What is your identity? If I were to say uh, to the people closest to you in your life, describe that person, how would they describe you? If I were to say uh, Tiger Woods this morning, we'd all uh, very shortly say golf. We might say some other things, but golf would be in there. If I were to say Michael Jordan, uh, uh, before long you'd say basketball, it'd probably be the first thing you say. Why? Because people's lives become identified with certain things. This is my identity. So as believers, we're identified with Christ. We're identified with God. And that ought to be our identity. But Elijah lived not just nominally, name only. Elijah lived in the, in, in the space of his identity. He lived up to who he was. So we're called Christians, but I wonder, do we live in the space of that? Are we really Christians? If there were no such term called Christian, could people use that term to describe us? He reminds me of, he behaves like, he models the person of Christ. So Elijah, we see his individual status, we see his identity, but not only do I see that in the person of Elijah, I see his incentive. Would you look back at verse number one? And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, watch what he does. He comes in with a message. He said... He said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. So before Elijah ever gave his message, he gave us uh, why he gave his message. He gave us uh, the context inside of which he gave his message. Hey, as God liveth, before whom I stand. So Elijah was saying, let me tell you why I say the things I say. Let me tell you why I do the things I do. Why am I standing here today? said Elijah. Why am I saying the things I'm saying today? I'll tell you why. Because I stand before God. That's why. I stand before God. And the fact that I stand before God incentivizes my decisions. The fact that I stand before God uh, tells me what to say and what to do and where to be and how to act. I stand before God. I practice the presence of God in my life. I wonder, do you stand before God? Now, I know technically we could all answer yes to that question because David taught us that whither shall I go from thy presence and whither shall I flee from thy spirit? And I think we all understand academically that God is everywhere present. One of the qualities of God, of the, of the Godhead, is that, that the fact that he's omnipresent. So I think we all technically say, yeah, I know God's with me, but, but, but do you have a sense of, but, but I'm with God? And I do what I do realizing I'm with God. And I behave the way I behave, both publicly and privately, both corporately and individually. I do what I do because I stand before God. That's the impetus. That's what impels me to do and say the things that I do and say. Remember when Gabriel showed up in the holy place? 
Luke chapter 1, he came to give an announcement to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would be the parents of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And Gabriel introduced himself to Zechariah, the priest, right there in that holy place by the altar of incense in the temple in Jerusalem. And Gabriel said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. No better way to introduce myself. Let me tell you what, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. That's Elijah. Elijah was there all by himself. Elijah was there with no backup. Elijah was there all alone. But Elijah said, but I'm here and I stand in the presence of God. I'll tell you what, he was bold as a lion. You, you show me the degree to which you believe that God, that you're in the presence of God, I'll show you the degree to which you live a holy life. You show me the degree to which you believe you live in the presence of God, I'll show you a holy private life. We need to learn to practice the presence of God. You show me the degree to which you live in the presence of God, I'll show you the level of your boldness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, said David. Why? Because thou art with me. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. One of the reasons I can be bold in the darkest places, said David, is because I know irrefutably that God is with me. That was Elijah. That's his identity. God is my God. I know him. And I stand here with him. He incentivizes what I say and what I do. And I don't live for me. I live for him. I don't stand for me. I stand for him. I understand that I'm his messenger and I'm his tool. I'm here as his representative. That was Elijah, the person of Elijah. But not only in verse 1 do I see the person of Elijah, I think in verse 1 I see what I'll call the prayer of Elijah. You say, well, Pastor Skelly, you might be reading a different Bible than I'm reading because uh, I don't see the word prayer in verse 1. And you can look at it. You can read it uh, yourself again. You won't find it. There, there's no prayer in verse 1, but, but Elijah prayed. You say, how do you know that Elijah prayed? How do you know that prayer is part of verse 1? Because the Bible tells us that prayer is a part of verse 1. Because the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. You know that, right? And you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. The Bible says in James chapter 5 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's James 5 and verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer makes a difference when it's uttered by the right person to the right person. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then James said, and let me prove it. Let me prove that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah. That's James 5, 17. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. James says to his audience 2,000 years ago, hey, Elijah, you read about Elijah? He'd be, he'd be the, the hero to the Jewish people. James is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And James says, hey, Elijah, you know, one of our heroes, you know, Moses and Elijah, they were the two big heroes, Abraham, Moses, Elijah. They're the, like the George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. That's the Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament. And so here they are. Hey, Elijah, he was just like us. That's what James said. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Very interesting, because Elijah will be one of the two prophets in the end days, in the tribulation. And there'll be three and a half years of great tribulation. Interesting. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again. 
and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So what does the Bible teach us about First uh, uh, Kings chapter 17 and verse 1? The Bible teaches us that when Elijah went and stood before King Ahab, he, had, he stood before King Ahab as one that had already prayed about this decision. He stood before King Ahab as one that prayed about how, what, what was going to happen. He was praying, oh God, for your sake, oh God, according to your word, oh God, would you not allow it to rain? Oh God, would you bring judgment down upon this nation? Not for the purpose of, of, of their destruction, but for the purpose of their repentance. Oh God, get a hold of them. That was Elijah. So why does God answer Elijah's prayers and not our prayers? Why does God answer Elijah's prayers? God, Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain. For three and a half years, he had good reason to pray that prayer. Why did God answer Elijah's prayers and doesn't answer our prayers? I think for three reasons, and James tells us what those reasons are in James 5. I think, first of all, Elijah prayed passionately. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think sometimes we pray prayers, but our prayers are perfunctory. Sometimes we pray prayers, but Jesus warns us that sometimes our prayers are, are full of vain repetition. Sometimes we pray prayers, but we ask to receive it, consume it upon our lusts. Sometimes we pray prayers, but they, we ask amiss. And by Elijah, he prayed a prayer to, oh God, oh God. It was a fervent prayer, a prayer from the heart, a prayer of passion, a prayer of fervency. Oh God. For your reputation, oh God. Uh, for your will, oh God. Uh, what's happening is Baal is coming in and people's hearts are turned away from you and your country is disobeying you and you deserve, oh God. It's a fervent prayer. Fervent for the heart of God. Fervent for the, jealous for the reputation of God. I wonder sometimes if our prayers aren't just for our good and for what I want and for my ease and for my comfort and for my convenience and not Elijah. He prayed fervently for the reputation of God to be upheld. Fervent. He prayed passionately. He prayed specifically. It wasn't just a, God, just do something. Lord, just do something about this situation. Lord, in your will, in your time, just take care of this. He didn't say that. No, he prayed specifically. He said, Lord, don't let it rain. Don't even let there be dew on the earth for three and a half years. I'm going to go in and tell Ahab uh, that, that you're going to answer that prayer. God, don't let it rain. Now, why? Why would, why would Elijah pray that prayer? It seems like a random prayer. I think there's any number of ways that God could have, uh, could have got the attention of, of, uh, of Ahab. Why would you pray for it not to rain? Here's why, because that's what God said. See, this wasn't a random prayer that Elijah was praying. Elijah wasn't saying, like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, let me just think about some good thing to say to God. No, he wasn't doing that. What Elijah was doing is Elijah was praying intelligently. And confidently. Yes, he was praying fervently, and certainly he was praying uh, sp specifically, but he was praying confidently and intelligently. Why? Because he knew what the Bible said. Say, so what are you talking about, Pastor Skelly? Let me read the verse. Ready? Deuteronomy chapter 11. Just listen, I'll read. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 11 through 17. Listen carefully. God told the people before they ever went across the Jordan River, before they ever settled the land, Back when all of them worshiped Baal, God said, when you go and this land becomes your land, here's what I want you to know. Deuteronomy chapter 11. The land 
whither you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys. It drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. I care for that land, said God. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. I'm always looking at that land. From the beginning of the year unto the end of the year, I'm always paying attention. And it shall come to pass, if you will hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, love the Lord your God, serve him with all your heart and soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather thy corn, your wine, your oil. I'll send grass to the field for your cattle, that they may eat and be full. Take heed. Hey, watch out. Beware. To yourselves, that your heart be not deceived. That you, then you turn aside and serve other gods, like Baal, and worship them, like Baal. And what then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you. He'll shut up heaven. There will be no rain. The land will not yield her fruit, lest she perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Oh, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. So Elijah gets word that, hey, our country has just adopted Baal. Our king is building a, a temple to Baal. That took some time, by the way. Didn't happen overnight. Word gets around the country. Oh, we're supposed to pray to Baal now. And Elijah gets burdened. And Elijah says, this, this is not the way it should be. God, this is dishonoring to you. God, we're your people. God, we, we operate by your name. And Elijah begins to pray. And Elijah knows his Bible. And Elijah said, God, and you said that if we make this mistake, that you're going to hold back the rain. Oh, God, honor your word. Oh, God, do what you said you're going to do. Oh, God. You see what he's doing? He's praying intelligently and confidently and specifically according to the word of God. He's saying, God, I want my will to be your will. God, I want you to do what you promised to do. Oh, God. That's when prayer works. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. When my will is bent to his will, I can ask what I will. It shall be done unto me. Boy, I need to get my face in the word of God, get my heart in the word of God. God, I want to know your will and your way. And then you can pray with confidence. That's what Elijah did. We see the person of Elijah. We see the prayer of Elijah. Notice the prophecy or the proclamation of Elijah. Would you look at that one more time? Verse 1. We saw his person, we saw his prayer, but now it's showtime. Now I gotta do something. Hey, uh, I, I, I identify with God, I love him. Jehovah is my God. In private places, Elijah had a heart for God. In private places, Elijah has prayed. And, oh God, do something. Oh God, uh, may your will be done. Oh God, would you honor your word? Oh God. But there comes a time when your faith and your private faith and your private prayer has to come out of the closet. There comes a time when we have to take a stand in, a, in an ungodly, compromising culture. Not in a uh, condescending way, not in an obnoxious way, but I'm saying in a Christ-honoring, stand-up-for-God, a truth-foundationed way. So what does Elijah, he shows up. He shows up in the Capitol building. And Elijah announces this judgment. He announces it. This, this is not his judgment, by the way, it's God's judgment. This is not his will, this is God's will. This is not his idea, it's God's idea. He's simply announcing. And by the way, that's your job too. That's my job too. 
My job is not to stand up here Sunday by Sunday and you know, come up with some fancy thing to say, some fancy philosophy to come up with, or some fancy way to look at life and some new way. No, my, my, my job is to get up here and say, here's what the Bible says. Let's talk about it. Let's explain it. Let's look at it. We need the Bible. And so that's what Elijah did. He came in and said, here's what God said. He announced. His announcement was authoritative. As the Lord liveth, as the, before whom I stand, it's not me. Like Gabriel that said to Zacharias, uh, before whom I stand, it's not my message. I'm not coming down saying you're going to have this baby. God told me to come down and say you're going to have this baby. I'm not telling you there's going to be no rain. No, it'll be my word. You'll hear my voice, but it's God's word. My voice, God's word. Well, that's important. He announced it. It was announced. It was authoritative. But have you ever considered this? Elijah's message was not only announced... It was not only authoritative, it was anticlimactic. You ever think about it? Just picture that. Elijah comes in town. Now, I don't know what he looked like. He might have been, he might have been a small guy, but I picture him like big guy, big hairy, you know, gorilla type, you know, John the Baptist. Probably smells because he lives out in the country. He's got a coat on. doesn't look like the finely dressed people in the, in the palace court he walks in. I picture him, you know, giving this message. It takes all of about 10 seconds to say it. It's not going to rain until I say so. Pulls his coat, swivels around, walks out. You know what I picture Ahab and the other people doing? I don't think they're, I think they're totally nonplussed. Why? Because they don't go chasing after him. They don't repent. They don't even arrest him. They don't do anything. Matter of fact, they don't do anything for a week. They don't do anything for a month. They don't do anything for a year. No, it takes them a long time to figure out, oh, you know what? It's not, honey, it's been sunny for a couple weeks now. Oh, it's, boy, you know, Jezebel, you got a really nice tan. Hey, you know, it's, it's really been dry. I mean, after a while, it's kind of like, oh, God's word is true. Oh, that judgment. It took a while for them to go looking for Elijah, and they couldn't find him. Can I just say this? When you take a stand for God, it's not always recognized in the moment. When you take a stand for Jesus Christ, and people in the, in the moment, they might laugh, they might jeer, they might just dismiss, they might think it's nothing, but I'm going to tell you something. God's word has a great shelf life. And it never expires. And before long, they're going to open that cabinet and realize, oh, it's not going away. And that's what's happening here. And so just be faithful to the word of God. Just be faithful to the will of God. And you'll see that God will, God will, will use your influence. It might not be today or tomorrow. It might be when your lifetime is over. God is the curator of influence. And God is the one that manages time. It's our job to obey. And God uses our obedience every single time he uses it. So we see the person of Elijah in verse number one. Quickly and secondly and lastly, that's the word you were looking for. Uh, I want you to see God's care. So we see God, the person of Elijah in verse 1, but notice now how God cares for this person. Now, Elijah's all by himself with a negative message, lives by himself. It seems like he's one against a million, but watch how God cares for him. Would you look at verse number 2? 
and the word of the Lord came unto him. Isn't it interesting how God gives his word to us incrementally? And what I mean by that is God doesn't start your Christian life by giving you like a set of instructions for every year. You know, when, I, when, I, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, he didn't say, okay, now for these few years, you're going to pastor this church, and then you're going to go over here for 20 years, and, and, then, and then on this date, I'm going to move you here. No, if God told us all the things he's going to do with our life, we probably wouldn't sign up, right? So God, God leads us as we obey. So Elijah obeyed God to go there. Now God says, okay, now I've got your next deployment. I want to send you to this brook by the side of the Jordan River. Uh, the word came to him and told him that. Verse number three. Here's the word. Get thee hence. Leave here. Turn thee eastward. Go back where you came from. That's where, that's where Tishbah was. That's where Gilead was. Get thee hence. Turn thee eastward. Hide thyself by the brook Keres. That's before Jordan. You know where it is. You, you've passed by a million times. And understand this. Jordan is not a big river. So if you've ever been to Israel, you know that. Jordan, don't picture Mississippi. Don't picture Missouri. Don't picture Rappahannock. It's smaller than that. It's a small river. And I don't want you even to go to the small river. Go to the small brook by the small river. The brook that feeds the river, that's going to be a small brook. Go to the middle of nowhere, Elijah. I don't want anyone knowing where you are. Go to that brook and watch what he says in verse number four. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So how did God care for his prophet? I think a number of different ways. Let me give you three of them. I think, first of all, he cared for the prophet by giving him his word. Do you know the, one of the primary ways by which God cares for you? Don't miss this. One of the primary ways that God cares for you is he gives you his word. He speaks to you. He speaks to you. He gives you direction. He tells you what to do and where to go and how to act and how to respond. That, that's very helpful. Have you ever been in a situation where you just didn't know what to do and where to go and how to act? It's frustrating, but God doesn't do that. He gives us his word. And the Bible says that he gave his word to Elijah and that word was directional. That word was directional. Hey, listen, you might not know everything, uh, Elijah. You might not know the number of miles you're going to travel. You might not know the GPS location of where you're going, but I'll tell you this, it's that way. That's what God said to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, uh, I want you to go that way. And when you get far enough that way, I'm going to tell you where to stop, and I'm going to show you the land where you're going to be. But uh, for now, just go that way. Sometimes that's what God does in our life. He gives us directions. Go that way. Obey me. Love me. Serve me. Sometimes in a marriage, you're like, I don't know how this marriage is ever going to get patched up. We can't get along. We fight about this. Uh, she betrayed me. He betrayed me. She said, he said, I don't know what to do. And God says, okay, go this way. Okay, Num number one, uh, don't let divorce be an option. Stay together. Okay, maybe, hey, go get some biblical counseling. Yeah, you don't have every answer yet, but you've got a direction. Obey the direction that God gives you. And walking in the direction that God gives you, he's going to show you more and more. That's the way God's way. The, 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 the will of God uh, is like a shining light, the Bible says. It's, a, it's like a shine. A, 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 it rises more and more until that perfect day. I'm not quoting that right. But the Bible, the more we obey the word of God, the more clear it becomes. So obey what you know. God gave Elijah, a directional choice. But not only did he give him a directional choice, he gave him a, an actionable choice. 
See, we, we struggle obeying God, but not because we don't understand the word of God. It's because we are rebellious to the word of God. You know that most of God's commands are one syllable? Most of God's commands are love, forgive. I guess that's two syllables. But it's made up of two one-syllable words, for and give. <laughs> Trust. Here's a real tough one. Go. See, our problem in the Christian life typically is not an understanding problem. Our problem in the Christian life is not doing what we don't understand. It's not doing what we do understand. And so God gave him a directional command. He gave him an actionable command. But then I think number three, he gave him an understandable command. Now, now don't miss this. So it wasn't hard to understand that he's supposed to go to this brook. It wasn't hard to understand that he would get water from that brook. It wasn't hard hard to understand that God said he was going to feed him at that brook. But did you notice what God also said before he ever got there? Now, don't miss this. He said, Elijah, I want you to go that way to that place, and I'm going to feed you there because I have commanded ravens to feed you. Now, that's the part that is confusing because God had never done that before. It's not in a raven's nature to feed anybody. Remember when Noah first sent a bird out? He sent a raven out first. And then he's like, yeah, that was a mistake because the raven didn't come back, right? Ravens are not concerned about letting you know anything. Ravens aren't concerned about finding carry-on on the road and bringing you back a piece, okay? They, they, ravens don't work at Chick-fil-A. I've never seen them there one time. They've never said my pleasure. Even though they can learn to talk, they never say that. What's the point? The point is that God says, I'm going to feed you in a way that's never been done before. I'm going to take care of you in a way that is counterintuitive to the way you've ever been cared for. Because I want you to know every day that it's me that's caring for you. And the way you're going to know it's me is because ravens don't do that. The way you're going to know it's me is it's going to be so unusual. Now, you're not going to like it because you've got Jewish sensibilities and ravens are unclean birds. And I know you've never touched a raven before. The last thing you want to do is eat something that comes out of a raven's mouth, especially after he's eaten the first part of it, right? But I'm going to do that. You say, well, Pastor Skelly, I thought you said that God's word was understandable. It is. There's no trouble understanding that. Like understanding that God said, I'm going to command ravens to feed you. Every second grader understands that. God's going to tell the ravens to feed Elijah. Everyone gets that. It's not that you can't understand what God said. It's you're you're confused about why God would say that. Well, God, why why, why would you do it that way? I mean, why don't you just, you know, like eventually there's going to be like Grubhub. Can you do, do, do it that way, you know? I mean, can you do it with Uber Eats? I'll even take a chariot, right? See, our, our problem sometimes in obedience is we want God's, we want to understand God's wise. So Naaman said, 
you know, are, are not Abana and Farpar, aren't they better rivers than Jordan, this muddy river? And you're telling me, Elisha, I've got a dip in the Jordan River? I don't want to do it that way. And his servant said, Naaman, you know, he's not asking you to do a hard thing. You might not understand why God wants you to dip seven times in a muddy river, but you, you can understand what he's telling. Just do the what and let God solve the why. You know, our problem so often in the Christian life is we're more concerned about God's whys than we are about God's what's. Can I just say this? You'll never understand all God's whys. You'll never understand all God's whys. His ways are above our ways. If you could understand everything about God, you would be God. Because he'd be smaller than you. When someone's bigger than you and smarter than you, you can't know all they know. So God doesn't want you to know all he knows. He just wants you to know what he wants you to know. And that's typically the what. And every now and then he'll give you a why. So how does God care for us? He cares for us by giving us his word. You know, when my kids were small and I fed them or, or we, we put dinner in front of them or we took them out to a, a drive-thru, they didn't know how the whole process worked. They didn't know how the credit card, you know, debited that from my account. All they knew is, wow, dad's got a cool card that gives me food. You've got a dad who gives you food. He does it his ways, right? He meets your needs. God cares for you through the Bible. God cares for you through the brook. Go to the brook, Elijah. Go to the brook. Why? Why a brook? Because that's where the water is. Fresh water. I'm going to give you fresh water. You know that sometimes God sends you to places to care for you in normal ways. You know the normal way that God cares for us? Through non-miraculous means, like brooks. You know, God gives you a job. The power to get wealth. He gives you daily bread. And then he tells you, uh, ask me for bread. You know, why do I have to ask God for bread? I've got a full refrigerator. Why do I have to ask God for bread? I've got a full pantry. Why do I have to ask God for bread? Bread, I've got a, a, a full bank account. No, but God says, no, you ask me for bread because I want you to acknowledge that bread comes from me. So God put them by a brook and, uh, hey, God, Elijah just told them it's not going to rain. That brook's going to run dry. Elijah knew that as he saw that brook uh, ebb every single day more and more and more till it was just a trickle. He knew that, but he also knew that every drop of water came from God. And every good gift and every perfect gift, even the ones that you can explain that are natural things, they all come from God. When's the last time you just itemized the natural blessings of God in your life? Like I have a house and I have a car and I have health and these things are gifts from God. And God's caring for you. So he cares for us through the Bible. He cares for us through the brook and he cares for us through the birds. Every now and then, it doesn't happen often. God just does some crazy stuff in your life. Right? Am I right about that? Every, every now and then, God just like, he does stuff and you're like, that did not make any sense. But thank you, God, for that. Here's what I wrote down. The alone, confusing, waiting times. That's Elijah. The alone, confusing, waiting times are typically the times that we see God work most unusually we hear his word most clearly, and we sense his presence most closely. So don't argue with him. Don't say, ooh. Just say, God, thank you that you care for me as I care for you. 